Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. So good to have you here joining us. We really appreciate you tuning in. It is Monday, September 22nd, 2016. We always say that for those that are dialed in via the or listening on a downloaded basis after the fact. Uh, one of my favorite stories still remains the time I was in uh, in New York at the secondary conference and uh, the head of uh, one of the head of e-commerce for e- everything at Reuters walked over to me and said, hey, I listen to your podcast every week, started learning about our industry and driving in and out, taking the train in and out of the New York. I've been listening to a program or two a day. Uh, one in and one out, uh, out of New York on the train ride. And uh, he says, I've learned so much about the industry. So that's why we quote that, say that date. We appreciate you and many others uh, joining in, thousands and thousands of people listening to this podcast now. And it's really good. In fact, we've got people outside the industry going, hey, I really find it interesting. So we're, it just amazes me who's plugged in to what we're doing. We just appreciate you joining us. Again, this podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals for Mortgage Professionals, and uh, we're getting a lot more than that. We're also the proud recipient of the Innovation Award by Progress of the Lending. Appreciate them for that. Today's hot topic is we're going to be talking about the appraisal industry, really what's going on there. We're seeing the average age, as many of us know within the industry, is up there. You know, The range has been in the upper 50s all the way up into the upper 60s. Uh, I heard statistics, I think it was the NBA, I'm not going to hold them to that, but around 62 to 65 is the average age of the appraiser now in America. And if you look at the increasing demand and the number of decreasing. We're having a lot of attrition. People leaving the appraisal industry through retirement or whatever. Um, and we're, we're we're facing something of a, a bit of an issue moving forward. And not only that, we got the regulatory environment that's ever challenging these guys. Andy Shell just got a great story he was telling us about as we were going before the story. He had a recent appraisal. We'll get him share that in his segment when he comes on. And uh, But it's really interesting what's going on. And we wanted to focus on appraisal. We invited William Fall to come in, and very excited to have William Fall, the William Fall Group, uh, come in and talk to us about this topic, a very high profile. Um, when you hear the name of his company, you're going to know he is one of the, he's the right guy to have on our podcast talking about this today. I want to say a special thank you out to our advertisers, ArchMI which has the Innovative Rate Star program. We'll hear from Jim Jump in a bit. We have Motivity Solutions with their leading business intelligence technology. Uh, with the real-time reporting, dashboard, and scorecards. We were at the Motivity Conference last week. It was really good. And now they're a part of the Black Knight Solutions. So very part uh, of when being a part of affiliated with Black Knight, they've got just even more resources, amazing things expected to happen now. So, um We'll talk more about that in a little bit with John Maynell, a little bit later, later in the pro- program. Velma, the virtual electronic marketing assistant that can help you build stronger and more profitable relationships with their set it and forget it email auto campaigns, or you can create those 
create the custom campaigns on the fly. I'm thinking about all the ones I do as I start saying that and uh, how Brent Embler and the team there do an outstanding job of really crafting your message. They're really not only skilled at getting it out, but they're helping you craft your message. So check out Velma at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com, or call Brent at 208-854-7909 and Simplify, who has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents across the country in a real-time chat messaging format that allows you to track changes, send and receive and validate documents. And the best of all, one of the things I like about it is all this electronic communication. Hey, you have a complete audit trail. So it eliminates that who said, she said, he said things, and it really gets you to the point of dealing with the facts and doing so electronically. We're kind of so used to texting and electronic communication. It's all immediate, and Simplifile helps you do just that. Check it out, simplifile.com, S-I-M-P-L-I-F-I-L-E.com, or call them at 1-800-460-5657. Nancy Alley and the team there are just outstanding to work with. D&H, we just had them on the program last week. They have an innovative new mobile app that's very exciting. There, you can check them out and what's going on there by going to D plus H, or D&H, D-H, actually, just shorted the D-H Dot com. You can learn more about this company, 140 years old company, 5,500 employees, serving 8,000 clients in 70 countries. They also have their mortgage bot LOS, but their new innovative product that is a, uh, is, is a mobile app. Well, it's not actually an app. It's actually a full website, but they've, they've made it mobile-friendly, so it just works so functionally, and it's a tool that you can help. It's a great point of sale. It really gets you connected with the customer early on. Check it out. and Go listen to last week's podcast. Then finally, the Mortgage Collaborative. Very honored to be a part of the Mortgage Collaborative. You know, in, in this industry, it's, I am, it's often who you know is as important as what you know. And if you're looking for meaningful connections, you really need to check out the Mortgage Collaborative at mortgagecollaborative.com or get a hold of Rich Zerbinski, good friend and outstanding uh, mortgage professional that will help you connect with the top people in the industry. Get a hold of Rich at 440-552-0691, the power of the network. Of course, we want to say a special thank you to Alice, Andy, Joe, Paul, Sam, everyone that makes a major contribution to this program. Good to have you with us. Again, I want to say a special thank you. We've got Terry Sellers now, who is officially the producer of this program, and uh, her husband, uh, Jeff Sellers, who's working with me on the expanding the advertising program. So if you're interested in advertising, get a hold of them. Get a hold of them and get a hold of me, and I'll forward it on to them, and we'll get their emails out to you. Upcoming conferences, the October 23rd through the 26th, where they have the annual uh, convention, the NBA annual convention and expo. God, this is conference is just loaded up. First of all, the attendance is over the route through the top. We're going to have David Stevens there talking, and I'm really interested, to, to, especially what's going on with David. A lot of people know about it. Some people don't, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But I'm going to tell you, this guy is a fighter, fighter for our industry, fighter for every aspect of what's going on. I, you know, uh, I, I just really respect what the NBA is doing. We're pleased to have a real good partnership with him and i want you at this conference yeah there's going to be great team entertainment james taylor and all that but it's the connections but more importantly the content especially at this conference i know there's some m a deals being announced uh that at least they're hoping to get them done to the point that they could announce them there uh, so a lot of news will be coming out at this conference and then the november 10th we have the whole loan trading workshop as well as november 15th through the 17th the accounting and finance management conference the Manchester Hotel in Grand, at the Grand Hyatt in San Diego. Check out all the NBA conferences and the education that's available to them. 
And with that, while you're there, check out Mortgage Action Alliance. Okay, we've gotten through the announcements. It's always fun. We appreciate our partnership with the NBA and all of our sponsors. And Joe Farr, I'm looking at this. Yeah. Uh, I love your website. I can in here again looking at Thanks, the markets. And nice little, nice That's a pretty picture here. this morning. Yeah. yeah, love those. Yeah, we're up yeah. Uh, up five and a half, thirty seconds on the day so far, and it's just kind of been a slow, steady improvement. Uh, we're uh, actually uh, not qu- quite at the highs for the day, but close to it. And uh, you know, any more improvement, we might see some favorable price changes come through. Uh, and, and so, what's causing this today? You know, it's speculation on my part, but that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, yes, you the are. Economic data, you, I'd the economic you do, data. I'd rather you do a little bit more intelligence. <laughs> the data hadn't had any effect today. The uh, new home sales came out this morning at 10 o'clock Eastern time. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was a little below last month, which was uh, a bit of a d- disappointment. But you might remember last month was the highest it's been since 2007. So uh, it's still a, uh, it was a little better than expect than expected. Uh, so uh, you know what I think is driving the market today. One is a little carryover from the Fed meeting. We've been consistently improving each day or, or during the day on Wednesday following the Fed statement in the press conference. During Thursday and Friday we improved, and then again today we're improving. Uh, we're up about a half a point since the statement was released on Wednesday. So. Uh, the market kind of liked the fact that uh, the the Fed didn't uh, go too far in the direction of uh, making a, a a rate increase probable at the December meeting. I'll get a little more into that as we get into last week. But yeah, and then there's also a little bit of a risk off trade potentially as we're heading into the debate tonight, right? So a lot of uncertainty right. to, to follow the debate. So stocks are down there, down 125, 130 points, and. And it kind of makes sense that uh, safer assets like MBS would be up a little bit. So uh, let's talk about last week. Yeah, it, it was all about the Fed, the Fed statement, Fed, the Fed uh, press conference following that. And and what the market liked, I think, is that the Fed did not come out as more hawkish. You know, they, they didn't change a whole lot. You know, they still say that the uh, case for rate hikes strengthened, right? And, and that, uh, but they are waiting for... Uh, further evidence, you know, so, uh, and it's so divided. Three dissenters is highly unusual, uh, uh, and those three wanted to raise rates at this meeting. So then you look at the dot plot, uh, and I know a lot of people don't uh, pay much attention to that, but, you know, the big picture of the dot plot is that overall the rate of, uh, well, the Fed uh, members uh, show that their expectations for future rate hikes are slower at a uh, going up at a slower pace than what they had thought just at the last time they did this, which was in June. So, and then three of those people expected uh, no rate hikes during 2016. So to contrast those who were expecting some in, uh, at this meeting. So uh, you know, all in all, the market viewed that as very friendly toward. Uh, MBS. And then last week also the Bank of Japan meeting uh, also came out on Wednesday, but much earlier in the day on Wednesday. And they did something a little bit interesting. They they cha- they announced a little bit of a change in strategy in that rather than keeping long-term rates low like they had been doing by uh, uh, QE on the, on the 10-year um, uh, bond, hmm. they are now going to manage the overall slope of the yield curve. And, and that might mean 
pushing the short end even lower. They're already negative, but trying to push it lower or working on the long end like they have been. But their objective is not to keep long-term rates low, but to keep a positive sloping yield curve. And the, the end result of that, they still expect to buy a good number of bonds, so it shouldn't affect the overall demand in the bond market, but it may cause things to be a little more volatile as they come and go. Uh, the data that came out last week was uh, was uh, the housing data that came out last week was mixed a little bit. The existing home sales uh, fell for the second month in a row, but that was off of very high levels midsummer. Uh, and uh, you know the the reason cited is lack of inventory. We've talked about that. Uh, fortunately, we saw permits, single family permits uh, taken out in August were uh, improved, and home builder confidence soared in its September survey. It matched the highest level since 2005. So maybe, maybe the builders are gearing up, uh, as we've talked about in the past, they're gearing up to to bring more inventory to the market. Uh, this week, uh, there's important data coming out. Uh, Wednesday's durable orders. Uh, Thursday is uh, the third look at second quarter GDP. Uh, it is expected to show a small improvement. It, the last look was 1.1 percent. This uh, this week it's supposed to rise to 1.3 percent. Uh, pending home sales also comes out on Thursday. And then the important core PC inflation index is coming out on Friday. That'll be the most important of the week. Yeah, uh, it's going to be very interesting. Any feel for that at this point? Now we'll take the consensus showing uh, the monthly increase at, at two tenths. It's been running uh, between one and two tenths most of uh, the uh, most of the year, to be quite honest. So uh, nothing out of line is what I'm seeing. You know, it kind of depends. I don't remember what falls out uh, from the first month when they're looking at the annualized rate, but uh, uh, expecting a little bit of an uptick in prices from one tenth to two tenths. Good, 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 good. All right. Well, it gives us a little bit of insights into what we anticipate. Boy, I tell you, I'm really interested in this election. I think it's fascinating that the, there's some uh, risk-off trading going on in, uh, you know, when you look at this. So this, this unusual times, to put it mildly. So it's good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate Joe Farr, you being a part of this podcast and giving us an update. Very interesting. Anything else that we missed on here? I'm looking up and down the notes. It looks like we covered. No, I think that uh, we, uh, part of part of what could be driving stocks today also is coming out of uh, Europe, European banks, and uh, most uh, uh, directly the Deutsche Bank issue with the big fee that the U.S. government's uh, uh, projected the, or asked them to pay, and. Uh, and that's having a, an effect on its capital and it's um you know the the degree to which the fee is negotiated will have a long have a big effect on its capital levels and the market's finding some uncertainty in that all right well looking forward to um seeing what this market is I, you know what i just stay tuned into what's going on through your website you do a great job of uh keeping it concise and to the point and take a quick glance at this and exactly where we're at. It's really powerful, too. Appreciate you so much. We're going to be right back after this brief break. We've got Paul Malo on the line. Can't wait to get an update from Paul and what's going on in the headlines, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. 
Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market. Whether you're in the office or on the road, see for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Hello, everybody. So good to have you with us. I'm trying my best to turn on Paul's microphone here, but it's far down the list. We Usually there's a little code process we need to do. So, Paul, I am trying to struggle like heck. Are you on the phone? Can If I turned it on effectively? Don't think so. It keeps bouncing away, Paul, and I, so I need you to dial back in and put the one in there so you bounce to the top of the list, and we'll come back to you in just a minute here. Apologize. I can't crutch with the technology it is. We've got so many people dialed in here today. My land's sake. So let's run over to Alice, and then we'll get to Paul, hopefully, when he gets back there. Wait a minute. It just it looks like the focus of this thing just shifted here. Let's see if I can get him connected. Well, we just went I think he's dialing back in. So, Alice, let's run over to you. Good to have you with us, Alice. Always ready and able. Always okay. jump in here do what you do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. There we go. All right. Paul will follow. All right. So here we go. So a couple of quick things. Um, we are certainly watching the amendments to the NOVA 4UO. That comment period is good still for a couple additional weeks, October 18th. As I reported last week, I haven't seen any big push out there, folks, on trying to get some clarification for our industry. It still seems like a lot of the comments that have been posted are from the title industry, just kind of focusing on a few little things that aren't uh, meaningful. I want to give you a quick update. Last week was the MBA Compliance Conference. There's been a vendor committee that's mostly LLS and doc prep, some title lenders, about 200 members, but about 50 active members. And Denise Kowalski, who is our compliance analyst, participates in that group. And they actually went to the CFPB offices on September 21st following that conference, CFPB gave them 90 minutes of time to talk about a 121-page document. Whoops, sorry about that, Alice. Something happened there and go. you disappeared. I think I muted and unmuted yep. in there. Yeah, so they, yep. they were at the CFPB offices. Um, they, they had submitted a document in advance with a whole lot of questions about this new No Before You Owe amendment to uh, the LE and CD and written providers list and all that other good stuff that's part of that. They had a chance to talk through about the top 12 and express some of their concerns. This is really interesting stuff. The CFPB doesn't really seem to get it how, on a day-to-day basis, people have to answer questions, right? Um, so we, right. we'll be following up with you uh, with this group, and they will perhaps have to dedicate some additional time to walk through when they get this answer. So the CFPB is reviewing these questions reviewing the 121 pages this group has sent in, and uh, we'll dedicate some time to this group afterwards to let you know what they found out. This is really in the weed stuff. Now, this is like if the written list of providers says one thing that's different from the LE and CD, if it's not an exact match, you know, is there something that's in violation and how can I cure it? 
how can title companies bundle services if it's bundled on the written list of providers and not on the and of course itemized on the LE and CD? How does that look? How can that work out? And then what's the definition of bundling in the first place? Um, one of the things that uh, lenders and LOS providers are finding is one of the biggest causes for errors on truth and lending disclosures is the drop-down boxes, right? That lenders can pick, their staff can pick from a drop-down box. And if the lender's only locked down the system, then maybe that would uh, help a little bit more. Um, so that's that. We'll follow up with that CFPB meeting that our team participated in. Um, as far as Regents Bank, I wanted to give everyone a quick heads up. You know, uh, you get the headline about their $52.4 million uh, false claims act payment that they have to make. Uh, but in the details and the violations are, was one important thing I wanted to make sure everybody recognized. This is really for mid-sized and larger companies. So HUD has a threshold of 3,500 units that you underwrite. If you're above that, you get to use the statistical sampling for your QC sample. In the region's write-up, they made a mistake. They didn't keep adjusting their precision mm. requirement and their precision math. Um, so they didn't uh, keep adjusting their anticipated defect rate that was part of their 2% um, confidence, or I'm sorry, 95% confidence with 2% precision. So just a heads up, folks, that this is a key component. Don't forget to make sure that you update that. Um, there's more in that um, write-up that we'll share with you um, in the weeks to come. But all of these details, it's important to go look up why a lender got written up because it does help you identify things you should go check that could be gaps in your process. So that's in a separate addendum that you can get at the justice uh, justice.gov website if you look up this particular case. Um, so that's my notes for today, Dave, and uh, looking forward Good. to talking about appraisals in our second half because I'll be speaking yeah. at the MBA conference Wednesday, uh, speaking with Zach Dawson of Fannie Mae, and we'll be going through appraisal underwriting and collateral underwriters. So it's not too late to find oh, out wow. if you want to help. Well, let's get, make, make sure people hear, understood that you covered that quickly. Say that one more time. So at the Market Association Risk Conference, uh, I will be teaching a course on Wednesday. Will be actually, it will be a very interactive session. So I'll be covering appraisal and appraisal underwriting with Zach Dawson, who is with Fannie Mae, and uh, he'll be talk. His focus will be collateral underwriter, but the two of us will be working together for a really robust session on appraisal underwriting and what's going on on that front today, especially with CU. Wow. Yeah, can't wait. Looking forward to it. And we're going to run over Paul Mollo's good to dial in, and he was dialed in. He was just so far down the list. We have so many people dialed into the program today that I couldn't get you on, Paul. So let's uh, get to you. Mike turned on here, and then now to that, we have this thing jumping around a little bit, the control panel. We have it expanding where a lot of people can see everybody, and then it expands out. So anyway, don't need to hear about it. But then there's also someone dialed in from your very same, right, must be from next door or something, has a very similar number, and I keep turning on their mic. So, Paul, it's good to have you here, man. Good to see you. I get to see you, at least on the panel. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Waiting for the big debate tonight like everyone else. See what, see what goes yeah. down. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Well, I'm on your website. you got a great website for those that are not signed up for it. We talk about imfnews.com. Be sure to get the newsletter. Great tool opportunity and great opportunity for you to stay on top of the headlines going through. So let's cover some of these headlines real quickly, my friend. Sure. Let's uh, interest. Only origination spiked 45% in the second quarter. Obviously, a lot of loans spiked 45%. Uh, that went up a little more, though, than than the overall. Uh, PHH was a standout. I should point out that most of these uh, interest-only loans are jumbos, 
And PHH right. is probably doing quite a few of them for uh, some of the uh, private label um, customers it has, namely Morgan Stanley. Uh, so, you know, listen, IO market's good. Uh, these obviously aren't going to be securitized, or at least probably doubtful. Uh, they're basically going to go on the balance sheet of, uh, of, of a bank somewhere. So that's uh, it's an interesting you know time for the industry and jumbos and that whole question. We talk about that all the time. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, jumbo securitizations are, are nowhere where they should be. It's just more economical to do whole loan deals and hold them in portfolio. But it's it's nice to see PHH had a good quarter. They uh, they could use some good news. Interesting story that came out this morning. United Wholesale Mortgage is the nation's largest uh, table funder through loan brokers. They're providing grant money to loan brokers who want to start their own shop. And they're basically saying, here's $10,000. <laughs> Use the money to start your own shop, and you don't have to pay it back. Uh, it's being done through NAMBI, the trade group, uh, and it's called the Kickstart Program. Uh, basically, the $500,000, I, I don't know if they're going to um, you know, supply more money. If it goes really well, I'll talk to Matt Ishbia probably tell you tomorrow about it, uh, the details. But, you know, interesting. Here's $10,000. Here's a grand. You don't have to pay it back. Start your own brokerage for a minute. It seems to show that the brokerage segment is, is has been pretty, you know, somewhat strong and stable the last couple of years, about 10% market share, and they want to grow it. And I think a lot of people want to grow it to give the consumer more choice and give uh, entrepreneurs more of a chance to uh, have a stake in their own future. Uh, some interesting things going on with Streamline refis with the VA program. Uh, they're trying to work out some details here about changing that. Uh, the streamline is a uh, refinance process. There's some problems that uh, VA and Ginny May uh, are having trouble with. Um, I won't go into the details, but you should look at the story on the website to get more on it. Uh, basically, you have to wait a period of time before someone can refi in the streamline program, and they want to try and change that to speed it up because, if, you know, you got to wait that long, you don't get the lower rate. So check that story right. out. Uh, Fannie's got uh, its DU uh, 10.0 out. Chris Hitchfeld's got a story about that. Um, and the changes that that brings. Uh, MBA Task Force uh, has come up with a, a program to replace HAMP. That's the loan modification program. Uh, that's also on the website. And also we have short takes. We talk about Trump and Clinton. Uh, the big de- debate is tonight, obviously, will they talk about anything having to do with the mortgage industry directly, Fannie and Freddie? Uh, I doubt Fannie and Freddie going to come up uh, as a topic. It would be nice if they would. Uh, you know, there's, the, yeah, it's a whole, you know, we could talk for, you could have a whole program of who's, you know, who's better for the industry and housing. Uh, but, you know, do, do either one of these candidates realize that you got to grow the millennials as a mortgage customer? And do they have any firsthand experience or, or they just listen to their, their advisors on this? Uh, let's face it, they're both wel- wealthy individuals, one more than the other. Uh, what do they know about the mortgage market? Donald Trump had his own mortgage company for a while, but that was a brokerage firm, which he, it really had nothing to do with. Uh, Clinton, no mortgage experience there. How up are, up are they on Fannie and Freddie? What do you do with Fannie and Freddie? Boy, it would be nice if they talked about that, but it, it's just not going to happen. Let's face it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, Dave Stevens, you talked about him. He was on a call with uh, 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 Capital Alpha Partners, Speaking on issues facing the mortgage industry, I did. I did was not on that call. I wish I was. I had other things going this morning, and they wouldn't give me an invite anyway. I learned later on. And comments are starting to stream in on TRID 2.0. The change is there. Tom Ressler, our staff, did a little research. You know, there's been 1,100 comment letters uh, so far in that. 1,100. But keep in mind, Alta's got a little uh, letter writing campaign going with title agents 
and basically uh-huh. saying, you know, fill out this form, <laughs> fill in the blank, put your name here, and, you know, here's the standard uh-huh. letter and send it in. And so many of them in the same, um, you know, same letter with nothing new. Uh, and lo- that's taken up a lot of the, uh, the the bandwidth there, so just keep that in mind. So that is the long and short of it for this week. For today, I should say, we're daily, obviously, on the um, web with www.imfnews.com. Great website, great tool. I think it needs to be one of those things that's bookmarked and read every day. Do a great job. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the program. Sorry I couldn't find you there for a while. You were buried no down the list because we have so many people dialed in. That's why hitting that one, it pops you to the top of the list. I can see you. Gotcha. Love yeah. seeing you. Love having you on, friend. Do a great job. Folks, check out imfnews.com. Appreciate it. We uh, skipped over Alice's ad, so we're going to go take a quick ad break, have Sam Garcia and others on here in just a minute. Andy Shell's in the in the batter's box as well. Looking forward to having this the, the regular teams here and they're all in the house and we'll be right back after this brief break if you have questions about mortgage regulations indicom mortgage you has free answers if you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization indicom mortgage you will share great ideas when you need help at any step of the loan process give us a call or send an email the indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years your success is our focus whether it's a quick question or long-term support portfolio conventional or government lending it's a competitive market so let indicom mortgage you give you the edge well, there you got to turn on the microphone, David. Anyway, it's so good to have you with us. Sam Garcia, you're dialed in. It's fun always to take a look at what you are doing. Again, great compliment to what Paul's doing. It's a lot of data in here, and I love the data that you provide to those that are subscribed to your system. So let's cover some of the headlines you're looking at, my friend. Yeah, we've got lots of good stuff this week. Um, though I wanted Ooh. to you know, mention that uh, when, we, when it comes to the uh, election stuff, you know, it seems that right after there is an election, a presidential election, the markets are always a little nervous, so rates might tend to drop. And then I've, and you've heard some outlooks for what might happen if Trump takes over, and um, uh, they, the outlooks were kind of uh, not very positive, but that would mean good, good uh, you know, mortgage rates, you know, if the market's not doing well. But we'll see. I'm looking forward to this tonight. But uh, we, uh, we put published our ranking of the biggest mortgage lenders and servicers for the second quarter, and we get that data from quarterly financial statements, SEC filings, company announcements, and we also uh, conduct a Mortgage Daily second quarter uh, 2001-6 origination survey. Um, Wells Fargo, of course, solidly maintained its position as the nation's largest lender with $63 billion in second quarter production, uh, but Bank of America, which was number five in the first quarter, bumped U.S. Bank from that position to take over the fourth spot in the latest ranking. Um, Prosperity Home Mortgage, they closed just under a billion dollars in the second quarter, and that they soared 76% from the first quarter. That was the biggest quarter-over-quarter gain we tracked of all the lenders that we uh, surveyed. Uh, Walter Investment Management reported that its volume was down 4% from the first quarter. That was the only company we tracked that had a decline. Um, Compared to a year earlier, Movement Mortgage pushed up its business by 57%. So that was the biggest year-over-year gain, while Walter saw business tumble 36% from a year earlier. Uh, Moving on to 
the origination insight report, Ellie May reported that the closing rate in August was 72.3%. That was an improvement from uh, the prior month when it was 71.6% and much better than the 66.3% a year prior. But it appears that um, with you know recently improved mortgage originations, lenders are tightening their belts as far as lending requirements. The average FICO score in August was 731. That was higher than 727 in August. Um, average LTV ratio was cut to 79% from 80% in July. And the average debt-to-income ratio was reduced to 2437% from 2438% in July. So all these metrics were tighter uh, in August. Um, again, I, I assume it's because you know there's so much business that lenders can be a little bit more selective uh, to manage their uh, pipelines, basically. Um, the, uh, our mortgage market index, which is a reflection of average per user rate locks at, by open close clients, it inched up 1% last week. And although the rate locks for purchase loans were down 1%, refinances climbed 5%. So it was a little bit of an uptip, uptick in a refinance business. Um, and the Mortgage Bankers Association's economic forecast for September, third quarter mortgage originations are forecasted to reach $595 billion. And that would make the current quarter the best since the fourth quarter of 2012. And that was when there were $600 billion mm. in loans. So this is going to be the best quarter in a long time. And we'll, of course, find out in the next few weeks as we start to see some of the earnings reports come out. But uh, FHFA reported that GSE refinances fell to a little more than 170,000 loans in July from more than 177,000 in June. And HARP refinances tumbled to 5,100 uh, in July. That was the slowest month for HARP volume since at least July 2013, because that's the oldest uh, data we could come up with. Um, mortgage delinquency, uh, Black Knight reported that 30-day mortgage delinquency fell to 4.24% in August from 4.51% a month earlier, and also improved was the foreclosure rate, which dropped five basis points to 1.04%. Um, an interesting story last week that got a, a lot of interest from our readers was uh, KB Home disclosed that it was winding down its joint venture with NationStar Mortgage. That unit is called Home Community Mortgage. They started that partnership actually in 2013, and it looks like Stearns Lending is taking over KB Home's mortgage oh. business. Um, in Florida, uh, Faye Servicing is opening a regional headquarters in Tampa, um, and that will result in 100 new jobs being created at that facility. And then uh, one other story, kind of the downside of that same subject, PHH filed a warn notice in New York, and that indicates that 91 employees of the nearly 300 people in Williamsville, New York, are being laid off. And those job cuts yeah. are, are tied to the subservicing that they're losing from HSBC. So those are some of our biggest headlines for the last week. Great job covering it all. Appreciate it. You got a great website here, Sam. I'm just dialing through here and looking, scrolling up and down. And none of that is the stories, but also the data that's in here. You talk about it when you're on your report, but I encourage our listeners to check it out at mortgagedaily.com. Good to have you with us, friend. Or call you at 214 521 1300. Check it out, mortgagedaily.com. Sam, appreciate you dialing and taking, covering us. Covered so much detail there so quickly. Great. Have, oh, always great a pleasure to be on your show, David. Thank you. Always fun. It's good to have you here, friend. 
All right, well, we're going to run over and take a look at the KPI of the week with John Maynell. So good to have them with us and a part of this. So we're going to be right back with John Maynell providing the KPI of the week. Thanks very much, Dave. Always great to be here. And this week's key performance indicator focuses on one of Alice's favorite topics, namely the underwriting process. And the KPI is submitted to initial decision. This is generally measured in hours, and you can either use this to measure an entire department's average turn time or even individual underwriters. Very effective if you're using balanced multi-metric scorecards to fine-tune the behaviors of individual staff members. This measurement can also guide an organization to areas upstream from underwriting that contribute to this initial cycle time, like processing, setup, or even sales, to help ensure that people in those areas produce complete and accurate files that make the absolute best use of the underwriter's time. So the broad scope makes this a very powerful metric and shows yet again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you again and turn it back to you. Thank you, John. Appreciate it very much. Check it out, MotivitySolutions.com, or call them at 303-721-9000. Also grateful to have Jim Jump with his report, or his uh, giving us insights into the RateStar program. And uh, I want to invite Jim to take the mic and give us a quick update. Jim Jump. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Appreciate it very much, Jim. Let's get over to the Profit Doctor. Always fun to have the Profit Doctor when he's in the house. You were uh, often you were attending a class reunion. We missed you last week. Uh, Andy, good to have you back. Thanks, Dave. And, and well, actually, that that Monday I was on site with a, a client there in in Reno. Oh. But I did get to go to the class reunion on a, oh that previous weekend in Lake Tahoe, South Lake. Tahoe, beautiful uh, place. So. Beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. And good temperature. Forty-year high school reunion. Oh. So that makes me <laughs> almost as old as you, huh? I know it. Yeah, but we Catching know one up. person who's six months older. Your your business good partner, <laughs> our mutual friend and business expert. My my business partner, good mutual good friend is Chuck Klein. So he's just a little bit older. We always harass Jim about it, but I mean uh, Chuck about it. Let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing though, because with the with what's going on in earnings, the squeeze is on people, Andy. And give us some insight to what people could do to just really improve their bottom line, profit doctor. Well, measure measurement. You know, measure uh, twice, cut once. You got to know what you're looking at. You got to know what you're facing. Got to be able to understand. You know, motivity has the phrase, "What gets um, measured gets results." But if there's there's intermediate steps. It's what gets measured 
gets managed and what gets managed gets results. You have to know what it is you're managing. You have to know what the outcome is that's happening. You know, the, 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 it's still true how Motivity says it. They just shorten it because it wouldn't fit as a tagline. But you got to know <laughs> what you've got to know. You've got to have information, or you're gonna you're, you're gonna fail. It's just the the margins are going to continue to tighten. Compliance costs are going to continue to rise. You've got to know what your business is doing. And that includes, it's almost October. It's time for our year in tax planning. We've got to start looking forward into 2017. Got to look at uh, oh, tax minimization. You had to bring that up. <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? Excellent. And, and as we approach October, also, Dave, we've got our accounting webinar starting again, our four-part accounting webinar that takes people again? from the basics and beginning. Yeah, it's, it's high demand. It, it, they get sold out. It is. So, Starting it again, starting next uh, week, actually, on the 6th, we've got an accounting webinar that's spooling up through the Mortgage Bankers Association. Go to mba.com and click on uh, Education and look for webinars, and there you will see it. So sign up. Learn more about accounting and accounting for hedging and hedging and all these things. It's a four-part series. That's coming up soon. And then, Dave, I know you're going to be in Boston. We're going to be in Boston. Yeah. So maybe we can hook up with some folks while we're while we're there as well. Love it, love it. Yeah, you're going to be. Uh, you usually have a suite there, so I'm, I'm sure people are going to want to get together with you and talk to the talk to the doctor in his own house. So, <laughs> be good. It'd be so important. I'll never forget the time we talked to someone and they showed up with their financials and, and their balance sheet didn't balance. And we <laughs> started with the basics, but he'll you'll work with people on the basics all the way out to the most complicated topic, which you're going to be covering in the MBA webinar, and that's hedge accounting. So, ah, it can make your head hurt, but it's really important that you get it right. Andy Shell, the profit doctor. Fixing ailing, fix, make ailing your bottom line. So good to have you here with us. Appreciate it so much. We are fortunate to have William Fall, who is the chairman and CEO of the William Fall Group, a national residential and commercial real estate valuation firm located in Toledo, Ohio. And they have over 40 regional offices in 17 states. Bill has, or William has, 30-plus years of industry experience. He has participated in review groups, both for SRA and MAI, as the designations, as well as the disciplinary committees for the Appraisal Institute. He holds an appraiser license, certifications in California, Indiana, Michigan. My gosh, the list goes on and on. He is all over the place. He is also a member of the Collateral Risk Network and in the advisory uh, industry advisory council for, of the Appraisal Foundation and the executive board member of the National Appraisal Congress and as a member of the Mortgage Bankers Association. It's always fun to have guests, and this topic is one that's really important, especially when you look at the aging population of our appraisal list. So joining me is William Fall. Good to have you here, William. Hey, thanks, David. Uh, very nice to be included today, that's for sure. Well, there's a lot going on here, but I think let's for those that are not familiar with you, give us a little insights into uh, your bad background as well as your company. Give us a little insight to who the William Fall Group is. Yeah, thanks uh, so much. Um, yeah, we've been in business over 35 years. Uh, our company has uh, two divisions. Uh, what we call WFG uh, consists of our residential and commercial uh, employee staff appraisers. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, we operate in about 40 uh, major metro areas on a, on a daily basis. But I suspect most on the call today will likely more recognize our wholly owned subsidiary valuation partners. 
This is our appraisal management company, which uh, conducts business for a whole host of, of lenders around the, the country and U.S. territories as well. And once again, uh, Vell Partners operates both residentially as well as commercial for commercial clients. You guys do a great job, and for those that are not familiar with the company, I encourage the, our listeners to get a hold of you. You, got, you offer great service across there, and you're one of the leaders of the industry, and that's why, as you heard in your bio, you're a tremendous amount of um, involvement in the industry. But let's talk a little bit about the history. There are a number of people. Now, for those of you the listeners that are experienced, I understand that, but we're going to cover a little bit of the history of AMCs for those that are newer to the industry because we have a huge population of listeners who are joining in and using this program as a way of learning more. So what's the brief history about AMCs? and where did this all begin? Yeah, sure. Um, appraisal management largely began in the early 70s, um, and generally appraisal management companies at that time were, were usually bundled uh, title and appraisal offerings, uh, most often appearing in the home equity or second mortgage uh, space. Uh, price and, and convenience, quite honestly, made AMC selection an easy option for, for lenders uh, participating at that time. And looking back from my perspective, banks even largely began with uh, the HELOC world, uh, but quickly expanded uh, using AMCs into first mortgage origination as their uh, lending portfolios uh, expanded. As you look at the AMC industry, you know, why and how are they utilized? Uh, frankly, I think AMCs emerged as a very efficient form of outsourcing the valuation component, uh, obviously in, in integrated in the loan approval process. For starters, uh, costs are outsourced, making management of fluctuating real estate cycles more of a variable cost rather than being a large internal cost center. And clearly, since uh, the adoption of Dodd-Frank, appraiser independence has been a really keystone compliance issue for lenders. Uh, AMCs are obviously a natural source and choice, rather, to assure that uh, uh, communication uh, that does occur is proper um, and non-influential in nature. And uh, lastly, um, valuation as a topic can be pretty challenging on the subject matter side. And I, many AMCs uh, proved to be a very good partner for uh, lending specialized experience, um, expertise, core issue knowledge that uh, uh, our clients and uh, others uh, have come to rely upon. I don't know that a lot of people are aware of this, but AMCs are really agents for the lender. Talk about that. Correct. Um, AMCs are, do not exempt lenders from compliance liability, right. but they offer uh, a very well-coordinated solution uh, to harness uh, the moving parts that are needed for effective valuation system. AMCs build a panel of qualified appraisers that are professionally capable, geographically competent, and appropriately experienced to be qualified to receive assignments. Further, AMCs monitor licensure, keeping them up to date, renewals, errors in emission coverage, and even often oversee background check processes. When you look at how the industry is growing and the demands for these services, how has it impacted AMC, especially as you look at the shrinking number of appraisers out there, the, the population is getting smaller and smaller? 
Yeah, good. Very good point. I, I think initially uh, one of the largest safeguards offered by MCs was their ability to maintain high levels of uh, quality control, measures that uh, were undertaken to alleviate secondary market concerns relative to the quality of the collateral. But um, while protection against uh, repurchase demands uh, obviously remains, current influences, I think, are much more focused on, on compliance. Um, Insurance that the most qualified appraiser was chosen, that specialization requirements that are needed uh, at the individual property level are, are adhered to, payment of customary reasonable fees, achievement of uh, client service and content. The, these are really just some of the few of the, of, of the daily demands that uh, um, AMCs oversee. I want to get Alex in this in a little bit in a few minutes here in this discussion, especially when you talk about the regulatory side of it, because you, when you're going to talk AMCs, you talk appraisals, it is getting just more and more complicated. But what are the ty- what are the typical regulatory items that hit AMCs uh, or the valuations in general? Yeah, fr- front and center is uh, uniform standards of uh, professional appraisal practice, usually abbreviated as USPAP. Those letters are familiar to most everyone on the call. Um, and, of course, the individual appraiser is charged with performing these requirements and guidelines, but uh, quality AMC needs to have proper quality and controls in place that would produce a, be certain to, um, that uh, a credible report has been written and uh, there's proper documentation and support. But as you mentioned, um, there's other elements of compliances uh, that are really starting to impact us, notably Graham-Leach relative to confidentiality and non-public information, UDAP uh, relative to consumer complaint policies and processes, and uh, certainly ECOA now that electronic loan processes are gaining in popularity. And obviously TILA and RESPA are never far from uh, uh, the discussion in, uh, uh, either. I think most uh, importantly, though, um, the current environment is much more focused on outcomes, um, showing regulators and auditors how it is done rather than just having a policy manual on the back shelf. Uh, I know our company spends a lot of money on in-house talent as well as outside counsel to uh, manage some of the compliance demands that are in the AMC industry uh, at the current time. When you look at the challenges that have emerged from TRID or even the other ones that are out there, I mean, well, the latest one is from HUD. So I want to talk about some of that. And then, Alice, as soon as we get into this, I want to invite you into the discussion here right after uh, William has had a response to that. So how have you seen any cha- or how have you seen the challenges emerge as a result of TRID and now with the latest from HUD? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I think TRID, uh, from a valuation standpoint, is, has not offered a lot of challenges, David. Um, we, we adjusted some price lists um, to accommodate client needs, particularly those that uh, expect, expect uh, a statewide pricing model. Um, we needed to tailor that so that uh, change circumstances were uh, not uh, confronted very often or as, as least often as possible. 
Um, and I really originally thought that TRID would lead to perhaps a cost-plus fee model, um, but uh, because of the three-day wait period at, at the front end. But um, I, I think on the origination side, there's just too much fear of going back to the applicant and saying, gee, your, your cost of change, that might spur them to even look for a different uh, Different lender to, to make loan with, uh, make their loan application with. So I, I just don't think that's a realistic option, unfortunately. Um, as to uh, HUD, uh, the new EAD process, that's electronic appraisal delivery, uh, the, has generated a lot of, of uh, communication and, and some noise out there, frankly, mostly relative to the notice of deficiency letters. But HUD has, frankly, issued these for years. Um, their new system is, as mentioned, electronic, and so it's a lot easier for them to do it now and uh, to do it more comprehensively. Um, so my, my suspicion, I'm anxious to hear Alice's input, that I, I think that appraisers will wind up adjusting um, some of their reporting style and uh, avoid some of the challenges uh, that they are encountering with the EAD process, just as they did when they were uh, initially re getting uh, uh, deficiency letters from um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac when, when the UAD process was started a couple of years ago. But right now, there there is a lot of noise out there on the EAD front. Alice? Yeah, hi, hi Bill. Welcome to the program. So, there, yeah, you're right. There is a lot going on. So since you were just uh, bringing up the uh, EAD from FHA, for those uh, who may not be familiar with it, the Electronic Appraisal Delivery Portal, a lot of what is needed in that um, checking of the appraisal report are some basic field information, right? It's not this particular service isn't running through um, valuation determination in any way. It's just going through some checks and balances, do fields within the report, match itself, and then there's some things that are hard stops. So, um, th so are you sensing from the appraisers that this is causing a new set of problems? That there's such a different that this is a big disconnect, this is not the same as UAD? Uh, in other words, I would have thought that since they went through UAD, they were pretty close on FHAs, but apparently not, it sounds like. Yeah, the the key difference, Alice, I think, is in the uh, uh, FHA guidelines that are that are mandated, obviously, uh, that are uh, unique to the government system as opposed to Fannie and Freddie. Um, and I, I think that's spurring some confusion out there. Uh, but you're right. Uh, like it or not, some appraisers are not very consistent with what they uh, um, put into their appraisal reports. Um, and uh, so when condition changes from one property, uh, use of, uh, as a comparable on one property to the next, it's going to raise red flags. And uh, I suspect many individuals are now, just for the first time or at least recent time, seeing a lot of this feedback. And it's uh, causing some, uh, I won't say negative reaction, but it's causing reaction. Yeah, and definitely with collateral underwriter on the conventional side, you know, I think uh, the lenders are trying to get a handle on how to manage the information. 
And there are a lot of companies out there that are the underwriters just aren't trained well on CU, and I'm sure they're making the appraiser's life miserable because the minute they get any type of message, they want the message cleared, right? They're used to, I have to clear messages, I have to clear messages. And the reality is with CU, you don't have to clear all of them. There's still the underwriter has to underwrite the appraisal. Absolutely, and and it, it's starting to point to um, a, a need, in my view, on, uh, from an industry perspective, to have some better clarity around uh, underwriting for creditworthiness versus underwriting the collateral. Larger lenders and banks obviously do this already with fairly sizable internal review mechanisms, um, review staffs, chief appraisers, you name it. Um, sometimes that gets a little bit tough for a, a, a smaller mortgage generator, and uh, so the underwriter has to wear two hats, and, and that's where that training disconnect occurs. Now, when you look at the amount of information that's out there and the, the selection process, I want to focus on that. How is an appraiser selection determined now these has anything really changed in that? Not not really. Um, once again, the AMC is an agent, so whether the appraiser is chosen by directly by the lender or through an AMC, you're going to see a pretty similar process. Um, uh, obviously, though, this can become a real challenge. Um, for instance, is it the closest appraiser? Is it the appraiser that has worked in this market for multiple years? Might it be the top-rated appraiser with the fewest correction rates? Uh, what about specific expertise relevant to the uh, subject property type? And regardless, who is the appraiser that can uh, achieve the turnaround time needed by the lender? So it's really critical for an AMC to, to, to quote-unquote, know the appraiser and have a rationale in place that supports their selection for that particular assignment. When you look at how an AMC is determined to be qualified or not, speak to that because has that has that moved? I think it's even more critical that you know you're dealing with a qualified AMC. Yeah, you're exactly right. This has uh, uh, really been stepping up over the last few years. The um, RFPs that that we look at um, really look um, carefully at experience, reputation, financial creditworthiness. Information security is, is really emerged as, as a big factor. Um, uh, at, at a minimum, lenders want to see a SOC 2 type audit for the primary computer data center where um, information is usually stored in at least a SOC 1 when uh, sharing proper internal processes. Uh, so material compliance policies are, are really, really part of the mix. and. Uh, they, we have even asked as to how often we participate with state regulators that are overseeing our AMCs um, and uh, how often we might be uh, reporting appraisers that are deficient in USPAP compliance in terms of mandatory reporting. So it's really important that a lender has um, an AMC partner who, at the end of the day, can make some tough decisions, help them be a partner. Um, and as uh, absolutely, totally committed to best-of-class service. Well, you guys, now do you do the SOC 2 audits? Are you doing that, or are you doing it at a third party? 
Oh, that's third party. all third-party, David. You're correct. Okay. Correct. I thought that was the case. The reason I bring that up is Andy Shell. If you got anyone's looking for a SOC two uh, audit done on any of this stuff, vendor management, any way, shape, or form, you got to get a hold of Andy Shell. There's my shameless plug for you. <laughs> you do a great <laughs> job with these things. Really? Did you want to add a quick comment to that? I'm looking at the clock and it's clicking away here fast. But you want to add something to that, Andy? Well, thanks, Dave. Appreciate all of that. I, actually, I would like to ask Bill a quick question, if I can. If you don't mind, and if yeah. I don't sound yeah. too uninformed in, in doing so, um, you know, Bill, a lot of the folks we work with use AMCs, and it works great. They can they can actually pick which appraisers are in the round robin, and we've got some some clients who don't use an AMC but have their own pool of appraisers that circulate in the round robin. Can you give some you know good and the bad and the ugly among those two choices? Oh sure, thanks, Andy. Uh, that's a that's a, a tough answer in the time we have. But briefly, if you're going to manage your own panel, you've really got to be diligent and invest carefully on performing the duties that an AMC typically takes on for you. And quality control is probably absolutely at the top of the list and or appraisal independence has to be very much at the top of the list because you're going to be looked at by some regulator, auditor, whoever at some point in time, and you're not going to hoodwink them if you've got a panel of three people covering Los Angeles. Um, So uh, there really has to be some good sensibility and a strong dedication by upper management to be able to do it on on your own. Uh, And AMC, usually by default, given some of the complexity that are inevitable in the day-to-day is uh, often a a superior choice. I know that can meet with some friction, uh, but by the same token, it goes back to uh, really having a a program, lending program of of sound integrity at at the core of uh, of your company. Well, that's great, Bill. And you had talked about some of the duties AMC provides, like validating licenses all this other stuff, and that's just a lot of work for someone to make sure they get it right. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, let's go to some of the hori- some of the issues that you're seeing on the immediate horizon. What what are you seeing? I mean, we're seeing Fraser's getting older, few of them coming in, so attrition is one of them. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest newsworthy item today is uh, there there clearly is a a declining number of appraisers in the workforce. And and maybe that's because we've been so darn busy in the last 12 to 14 months um, and or we're seeing it certainly in some of the remote remote locations. But, boy, as you mentioned, David, the average uh, appraiser's age is north of 60. and uh, attrition at three to four percent of our population per year is going to become a real, real factor. And what I think about is um, many people have done some demographic forecasts that are projecting as much as 24 million new households over the, to be formed over the next 10 years. So that group of people, some of a lot of them maybe even are going to be renters, but a lot of them are going to be homeowners. And um, when you complement new purchases uh, along with HELOCs and second mortgages and whatever, I really worry that we have a sustainable base of qualified appraisers that uh, can perform um, important uh, valuation tasks. What is being done to really tackle this issue? Do we need more education? 
Yeah, I, I fortunately it's more recruiting um, too, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, we have a recruiting issue into this thing. I'm trying to get my daughter. Totally, yeah. I think one of my daughters would be a wonderful appraiser. <laughs> Send her my way, please. Um, uh, I, you know, fortunately, the appraisal qualification board of the appraisal foundation has undertaken some a pretty close study of how to make the profession more enticing, while not compromising on quality. And uh, the primary theme being that the current barriers to entry are being evaluated and replaced with more competency-based education and experience. Um, uh, and I personally believe very strongly in, in simulative and experiential types of training. Think of the Khan Academy, and that's K-H-A-N, if those of you that may not be familiar with it. Uh, and I think there's going to be business gaming sessions developed as well. What do you mean by business gaming sessions? If you could expand on that a little bit. Did we lose you, Bill? Well, I, Bill, are you there? Hmm. If you, Andy, are you there? Can you hear? I just want to make sure I'm not the one that just dropped hey, Dave, off. Yep, you're, you're on live and in color. All right. All right, Bill, I think we may have lost you here just for a minute here. That's really interesting what's going on there. So, Bill, if you want to redial back in real fast. We can get you back in the program, but uh, that's just—it's fascinating what is going to be done. I mean, I, I look at the the issues, and Alice, while we're waiting for Bill to re, redial, whoop, we lost somebody here. I think I—I I was Bill. Somehow he went on hold, and uh, his music—we started hearing music on hold from there. Nice so though. I was getting, yeah, it sounded good. Yeah, I was thinking, Andy, you're playing some outro music here for us. Way to go! You're so skilled at that. But really, when you look at this, I mean, as uh, hopefully we'll get Bill back in here in just a minute. There we are. Got him. It looks like he just redialed back in. So, uh, Bill, I'm not I sure what happened. I apologize. That's all right. It goes on. It happens. It's live radio. So we expect almost anything. And we can dance and shuck with the best of it. But talk a little bit about when you were talking about gaming. I would like to tie that back in. A lot of people are not understanding what that might be. Right. There are literally applications in many industries already, uh, financial services being one of them, that replicate real-world experiences. For instance, of a venture capital fund, for instance, uh, would allow you to, quote-unquote, invest in a new stage company and, and a and help that through its evolutionary stages of okay. uh, of 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 growing, building a business plan, hiring sales, the whole thing and trust me, I've done some of this, and you're darn lucky to get your money back at the end but but those kinds of uh, of educational tools are very much um out there, and uh you know Samsung gear. Oculus uh, with virtual reality uh, are going to literally uh, radically change the way we all learn and interact in the world um, in the not-too-distant future. We had someone actually just shoot me a quick test. Do you see the the work of drones ever coming in and helping to add greater efficiencies? In other words, making the appraisers that we have, the fewer number, be able to do more. Is there any chance of technology coming in and impacting? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think there's components of that, David, that remain to be discovered. But uh, most appraisal work requires an, uh, an interior inspection of, of, of the yeah. residents, for instance. And so that's going to be uh, a couple of uh, years out there, to say the least. Yeah, uh, could well, it, let's talk about the 
Yeah, go ahead. Finish your thought of that. Yeah, it, yeah no, uh, it, it could well uh, uh, be an influence on uh, a second mortgage or HELOC uh, loans where you've already got some basis for the primary collateral. But I, I think right. first mortgage origination, that's uh, a ways away. That's what I anticipate. Well, what's the more immediate things that can be done right now? I, I really think uh, good old-fashioned uh, business practice need to um, to be uh, 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 really uh, adhered to. Uh, appraisers obviously get bugged by correction requests, particularly silly ones that have no bearing on value. And um, mobile appraising is uh, becoming more functional and, and helping deal with uh, interruptions like this. But uh, at the bottom, at the end of the day, professionalism has to be emphasized. <clears throat> uh, treating the parties of the transaction as colleagues, not adversaries. Uh, having the appraisers provide truly timely updates and honest communication, being realistic on deliverables. Uh, fr- frankly, at the end, uh, mutual respect still goes uh, a long way in my book. Yeah, it does. I agree with you. Overall, the positive outlook. Concerns. What's your overall outlook for things as we wrap this up? Yeah, guardedly positive. Yes, um, I think we've got to be pretty diligent to service what I, uh, is often termed as being the public trust, uh, and by that I mean instill confidence uh, with those that are counting on the system to provide uh, unbiased, high-quality value opinion and and, and products. And as long as we can adhere to ethical principles that underscore this mentality, I think we'll be fine. Encouraging, folks. We've had William Fall, who is uh, president and uh, CEO of the founder of the William Fall Group and uh, Valuations. What's the name of the company again? I'm trying to scramble here to look. Valuations. Um, uh, Valuation Partners. Valuation Partners. That's so well known. I know that. That's with me. Anyway, I'm looking at the time. I'm a little distracted. We went a little bit over, folks. I apologize for that. But it's really been good to get an update on this very important topic and encourage you to share this out with others. We have got to address the appraisal issues that are going on. And the biggest one in my mind is the shortage. And uh, and you guys got to talk to, you got to talk to leaders like William Fall. So, William, how can people get a hold of you and your representatives to really form a partnership on addressing some of these issues? Yeah, I'd, I'd look forward to hearing from anyone. Uh, my uh, email address is wfall at williamfallgroup.com, and uh, welcome any uh, contribution for sure. Appreciate it. Appreciate you joining us and uh, being a part of the program. It's really good to have you here, and look forward to having you back. And please give us updates from time to time. Just posted that we would like to have you back again, William. So glad, so glad to do so. Thank you, David. All right. You bet. It's been good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate William taking time to join in. The drums have started. We're over the clock, and uh, which means we have got to get out so we can all get back to work. Thank you so much for making this a way of you staying in touch of all that's going on in the industry. It is really an honor to have you be a part of us. Folks, have a great week, and look forward to seeing you back here next week. This has been Licking on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.